The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by the Reverend Zach Keel. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. So for our devotion this morning, as we go through the book of Deuteronomy, we uh, turn to Deuteronomy 19, read the first 13 verses of that uh, chapter, a section on the cities of refuge. So this is God's word. When the Lord your God cuts off the nations whose land the Lord your God is giving you, and you dispossess them and dwell in their cities and in their houses... You shall set apart three cities for yourselves in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. You shall measure the distance and divide into three parts the area of the land that the Lord your God gives you as a possession so that any manslayer can flee to them. This is the provision for the manslayer, who by fleeing there may save his life. If anyone kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in the past, As when someone goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood, and his hand swings the axe to cut down a tree, and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies. He may flee to one of these cities and live, lest the avenger of blood in hot anger pursue the manslayer and overtake him. But or because the way is long, and strike him fatally, though the man did not deserve to die, since he had not hated his neighbor in the past. Therefore I command you, you shall set apart three cities, and if the Lord your God enlarges your territory, as he has sworn your fathers, and gives you all the land that he promised to give your fathers, provided you are careful to keep all the commandment which I command you today, By loving the Lord your God and by walking ever in his ways, then you shall add three other cities to these three, lest innocent blood be shed in your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So the guilt of bloodshed be upon you. But if anyone hates his neighbor and lies in wait for him and attacks him and strikes him fatally so that he dies and he flees into one of these cities... Then the elders of his city shall send and take him from there and hand him over to the avenger of blood, so that he may die. Your eye shall not pity him, but you shall purge the guilt of innocent blood from Israel, so that it may be well with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word that nourishes us and builds us up and shows us how we are to think your thoughts after you. It shows us your justice, but also your mercy to satisfy your justice for us in Christ. So we pray, O Father, that as we open your word, you would enlighten our minds so that we might grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through your inspired word from all scripture, even here in Deuteronomy. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you uh, know, we live in a world where It often seems like life is very cheap. We see this with criminals, of course. People will murder each other for basically nothing. Uh, They don't even have to be paid, and over the silliest matters. We also see this with terrorism, which will take massive life at a blink of an eye. 
But it's not just crimes and murders where we feel like sometimes life is cheapened. Even accidents make us feel like this. Maybe it's just a careless accident or a seemingly small thing. It can be a car wreck, a sports accident, or something around the home. But just such a little action, and it takes a precious life. Here, people die, and we see it. A life is taken, and sometimes it seems like nobody really cares. Jane Doe lies in the morgue, and there's no accounting Our society says that life is precious, but so often its actions don't line up with it. But thankfully, our God is different. Our God tells us that he never turns a deaf ear to the crying blood of Abel. But he also always listens to the better blood of Christ. And in this section on killing and the cities of asylum, he shows us how this is the case. Now, in this section, he, uh, on the cities of asylum, it's basically building on previous legislation, particularly Numbers 35. And basically here, Moses and Israel are set aside six cities of asylum. Three are on the west side of the Jordan, mentioned here, and three on the east side of the Jordan or the Transjordan. And these are cities of asylum or refuge. Now, asylum was very common in the ancient Near East, But it was different than what we find in Israel. For in the ancient Near East, places of asylum were shrines, temples, or um, places of worship, and typically altars. As well as anybody in their neighbors could run to these asylums, grab the horns of the altar or other parts of the temple, and find safety. But in Israel, this is different. For one, these cities of refuge are not shrines. They are Levitical cities, but they're not holy in any sense of the term. As well as, in Israel, asylum only is available for one crime, murder or killing. And it's not just killing uh, or uh, murder that can flee there, but all killing, accidental and intentional. But the question is, why set up these asylums anyways? Why set them up for the innocent or the accidental killer, and why for the murderer? Well, we know the saying that justice delayed can be justice stayed. But it's also true that justice in haste can be justice in waste. Let's note here in verse 6, it says the blood avenger is hot in anger and he'll kill the other man before the trial. As you can imagine, someone kills your loved one on accident or on intentional and you want blood immediately and fast. And for that to happen before a trial and evidence, it can cause a waste of justice. But who is this blood avenger? Probably better here translated blood redeemer. Now this person was a family member of the victim. Typically went in the order of your brother. If you didn't have a brother, then your uncle or your cousin. And it's better to translate this redeemer because this person in executing the murderer is actually paying for, in this sense of redeem, or expiating the loss of life. Now, it has to be a family member because it's understood that the family has a right of restitution. The family had a loss. They have a right to see justice. And yet this payment or redemption that this blood redeemer is doing is not paid to the family, but it's paid to God or justice. This is brought out in the fact that the land is holy from Numbers 35. That is, shed blood defiles or pollutes the land, 
because Yahweh, the Lord, is living in the land among them in the tabernacle. This notion of the land being pure, then, basically says that the Lord demands restitution for all bloodshed. And there's only one method of payment or expiation, and that's the blood of the killer. So basically, the killer, whether accidental or uh, intentional, can run to the asylum and be safe until the trial. But if once the trial is had, if the person is guilty, then the people bring him out of the asylum and they hand him over to the blood redeemer. Note here, verse 12, how it says the elders hand him over. This shows that the blood redeemer is basically a state executioner. He's executing the murder on behalf of the Lord and the state. And he does so so that justice is satisfied and the rights of the family can be upheld. So also in verse 13, it says that the guilt of this innocent must be purged. Here the land has to be purified through the execution, and the Lord's wrath must be appeased. Even says, do not pity, for think about it. If you're the blood redeemer, this wouldn't exactly be an easy task. Somebody kills your sister, and now you have to kill them? Sure, you're in anger, but it's not always easy to throw the first stone or to swing the sword. And yet justice has to be done. And so whether you want to or not, the Lord says the blood redeemer must be or must execute. For this murder is not just a personal crime. It's a, a corporate crime. As it's made clear here, it's the duty of all of Israel as a state to punish the murderer. Because if not, what happens? Well, this innocent blood cries out to, uh, from Israel, again, or cries out to the Lord against Israel, and the Lord eventually sends the curse. In fact, murder and innocent blood is one of the key triggers that triggers that ultimate curse of exile. Thus, it's the duty of individuals not to kill, but it's a corporate duty of Israel to punish. And of course, this makes sense for murder. Unlawful killing should result in execution. But why is this also involved with accidental death? Find it somewhat odd. Note the example here of this accidental death. Two men are out chopping wood in the forest. The axe head flies off, and it hits your friend, and your friend dies. Well, in this situation, the manslayer can still flee to the city of Siloam and be safe. But why does he even have to do this? Well, there are several things assumed here that are pretty significant. One, it's assumed that this innocent blood or the blood shed still defiles the land, which means justice still has to be paid. The land demands atonement for all blood, whether for murder or accidental. It also assumes that the blood redeemer still has rights. His family still suffered a loss, even by accident. And so he has the right and duty to pay that debt. But the accidental killer didn't intentional to do, intentionally mean to take a life. And thus he spared and given asylum in the cities. And in this way, his life is preserved. But what's fascinating about this is how long does this accidental killer have to stay in this city of asylum? Well, until the death of the high priest. Once the high priest dies, a natural death, then the man, the accidental killer, is free to go back to his homeland, 
the debt is considered paid, and the blood redeemer has no more rights to avenge. This is rather remarkable. For the high priest, we know, bears the sin and guilt of the people in his life, through the sacrifices and through his intercession. But now we're told in his death, he bears the penalty for this loss of life. For remember, a life for life is the retribution principle. In murder, the victim's life is expiated by the execution of a murder. But now, in an accidental death, the victim's life is paid for or expiated by the death of the high priest. Thus, the Lord shows that he takes account of every loss of life, accidental or intentional. He upholds the value of his life, of life created, even in our fallen world. This is rather remarkable, being that we're depraved and wicked and we deserve death itself. But even in our accidental death, the Lord demands an accounting. His justice seeks retribution in every case. And yet here in accidental cases, his mercy provides restitution through a substitute. Not your death, but the death of the high priest. And of course, what is remarkable about this is that it is the very, it's the death of the high priest that brings expiation, not the man's time in the asylum. His imprisonment doesn't expiate, but it's the death of the high priest. Thus, the high priest's natural death parallels a sacrifice, the bearing of sin and guilt to satisfy justice and bring reconciliation between God and man so that he doesn't curse his people, but even between man and man, because the blood redeemer no longer has rights to revenge. Thus, with the death of the high priest, the blood redeemer loses his rights, and there's peace between the victim's family and the accidental killer. And thus, we find an, an amazing foreshadowing of Christ, who is our true high priest, who became our sacrifice for sin, even those heinous sins of murder. For as is shown here, God's justice must find satisfaction. Even accidental deaths demand an accounting. But there's only one way that the debt of death can be paid, and it's not with money. In numbers, it emphasizes no ransom, that is money, can be paid for the life of a murderer. Rather, blood is the only currency. And this is what Jesus paid with his own blood for all of us. He satisfied the rights of the blood redeemer for you by giving him his own blood. Thus, in the death of your high priest, you have forgiveness of all your sins. Indeed, Jesus' blood speaks better than the blood of Abel because his blood speaks of satisfaction. And peace. Abel's blood cries out for justice, for your sin. Christ's blood declares appeasement. Abel's blood cries for another death, your death. But Jesus says his death brings your life. And yet, what also is truly amazing about this work of Christ is that he doesn't just provide atonement and forgiveness for killing and for all sins. But he alone, through his death, 
provides the true restitution for death. For think about it. When a crime is committed, the criminal must be punished, but the victim must be paid restitution. But if you lose a loved one, sure, you can get justice via the execution, but there's no way for you to get recompense for your loss. You can't get your loved one back. There is no restitution for accidental death or murder in this life. But Christ provides it for you through resurrection. For murder is a crime that only can be fully redressed, not, through, not just through justice, but through resurrection, which Christ alone does. Thus, for all of those who are in Christ, this is the most glorious comfort. Because Jesus is the resurrection and life, he will restore to you your lost loved ones. He will, whether they died intentionally or accidentally, he tells you, I pay that sin and I restore to you your loved ones in the resurrection. This is our comfort. Because in this life, justice is often, almost always delayed. We get measures of it here and there. But we don't see the full justice. And so we wait for it. But Christ says, be patient. For in the resurrection, because he is the life and the resurrection, he will will set all things right, and he will restore to you what you have lost, even your loved ones. What a comfort is for us as pilgrims as we deal with death throughout our lives. Praise God for our high priest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Christ's death shows us that life is not cheap. It shows us the goodness of the image of God that you created all male, male and female. In our world, we see so much loss of life. It's never easy. We grow callous to it, but it's never easy. But we thank you that in Christ's death, he truly satisfied justice for all these sins, all these deaths. And he provided not just satisfaction for us who are in Christ to forgive us from all our sins, but also he provides us with the promise of the resurrection, the true restitution for loss of life. So, Lord, may we cling to Christ. May you strengthen our hope so that we do not mourn like those who do not have hope. And may you keep our eyes firmly focused on your second coming so that when you come again, we will know that the dead will rise first and those who are alive will change and we will meet our loved ones in the air and then meet you and worship you forever in glory. May you hasten that day and keep us faithful until you do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2015, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.